we have four promises that are in at Passover time. And they're always discussed at Passover time. And I think it would be good if we would talk about them at communion time. So it says, I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will rid you out of their bondage. I'll redeem you with a stretched out arm. And I'll take you to me for a people. Those are the four promises. So each promise was to be a personal and living reality for the Jews that first Passover night. Because they were leaving. They were going out from underneath the burdens of the Egyptians. They were no longer going to be stuck in that um, work mode, in that oppression mode, burdensome mode. That was going to be history. That backpack was falling off their back. And God is the one who made the promises. Do you read anywhere in there about a human being doing any of that? Who is that I? What's that? Who is I? Is it me? It's God. Okay, I don't have good hearing. <laughs> Farming killed my ears. So anyways, no, this is the Lord who is promising every single one of these things. So the Lord will bring you out from under the burns of the Egyptians. He's going to bring you out of their bondage. The Lord will redeem you. He will take you to him for a special person. So every Passover meal, the Jews discussed these promises. So that created their reason, their, their identity as a nation. It created them for their existence. This is a Jew's existence. And the Passover, you notice, they weren't a nation till they came out of Egypt. Passover created the nation. Communion creates the church. The church is a nation. So we need communion as much as the Jews needed Passover to unify us, to recreate us into an identity, to an existence. It gave them purpose to be on this planet, and it set them apart from everyone else. When a non-believer comes into church and we're doing communion, it must look strange to them because they have no experience with who we are communing with. You know, when you and I don't do Passover because we're not Jews, God doesn't want us to do Passover anymore because that nation is history as far as salvational merit. I mean, you know what I mean? Um, the Jews are not the ones who are bringing salvation to the world. They, they never did do that. They refused to be Israel which is a symbol of Christ. The nation of Israel was to be a symbol of Christ, and they rejected their purpose and existence. So now God is like, I'm going to start over, kind of like the Noah thing. He's going to start over with a whole new nation, which is the believers in Christ. We call that Christians. And no, it's not only Seventh-day Adventists. There are believers everywhere. And so, anyways, I run into them all the time in my Bible studies. <laughs> So anyways, God is trying to recreate us into his nation to that will really represent Christ. So, Christ brings us out from under habitually destroying sins. That was the first promise. We can be delivered and freed by Christ's pardoning power. His great and far-reaching hand will redeem us with frightening judgments on Satan. If you remember during Passover, the last thing was what? Out of the Egyptians firstborn was going to die. That was a judgment on Satan. Because God was killing, he was destroying the strength of that nation, their hope of their nation. 
Jesus will take us close to his heart and soon to his heavenly home, always to live in his presence. So communion represents the prophecy of Genesis 3.15. Do you guys know what that is? Do you know Genesis 3.15? Yes. That's a wonderful promise there. Let's see if I can find my... I will put enmity between thee and the woman, between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. This is the prophecy that was done, that is at communion time. That enmity is hatred between sin and righteousness. You know, that is a gift. If we did not have that gift of hatred for sin, we would never come to the Lord. If you ever notice, in prisons, there is still a level of righteousness, a standard, we can say. It used to be, years ago, um, when the homosexuals got put in prison, they didn't live. The inmates would kill them. Not the homosexuals, I'm sorry, the child molesters. The child molesters. The inmates could not, that, that was below their standard. They could not handle that. And it's interesting, even in the worst environment, you still have a standard that that is not acceptable. Now there's just so many of them in there, they can't keep up. That's what I was told. You don't hear so many getting killed anymore. But anyways, that enmity is prophesied and it comes true at communion. We have a hatred for sin. Communion is going to create a new hatred for sin. Because when you're washing the feet, you recognize, oh, I got this wrong. I do that wrong. I don't think right with this. It's like, man, I just hate it that I'm not like Christ. See, you have a hatred for sin. That only happens at the foot washing. So the power of Satan and the power of sin will be broken. So then communion will then be able to direct us to another event, which is the second coming. All of Christ's promises culminate at the second coming. Then it's triumphal glory, finally. So, both are memorials of God's deliverance from slavery and sin because that's what they're remembering. Every year they do Passover, they're like, God took us out of Egypt. God took us out of slavery. And they're supposed to be thinking, God took us out of sin. I'm afraid they don't think about that too much. But that's what communion is to remind us of. God died, you know, Jesus Christ died for me. I don't have to live with pride or lust or thievery or, you know, just go down the list of the Ten Commandments. When I'm doing communion, I'm like, wow, God delivered me from my past. Whatever your past is, you're free of that. Both are reminders of God's power on behalf of his people. How in the world did you get free of it? It was by God's power. Do you guys have, don't tell me what they are, but do you have things in your past that you know it was the Lord who gave you the power to overcome? Maybe it was an anger thing. Maybe it was a pride thing. Maybe it was an overeating thing. I don't know. But God has it. He has that power. And communion is to remind us of that power. Both are designed to be engaged in through a meal. Passover, you had to participate with eating. And communion is the exact same thing. You can't just show up and sit in the pew and not receive it. Because if you don't receive it, you're rejecting it. You have to eat the meal. Both involve a sacrifice. Of course, in the Old Testament, it was a lamb. In the New Testament, it is Jesus Christ, which the Old Testament was pointing towards. Both point to a greater event further down the road of time. Passover is, is pointing you towards, you're going to be heading towards the promised land. 
And communion is reminding us Jesus Christ died so that we can go to the promised land. So you have both elements there. <laughs> Anyways, both are in a meal setting. Passover is a meal and so is communion. And God expects us to participate. Because if you're just going to be a pew warmer and sit there, it's not going to, there's no communion then. There's no interchange. We talked about that yesterday. A communion is meant to be a back and forth thing. When you have Thanksgiving meal with your family, aren't you all discussing and talking and laughing and your hearts are being bonded? That's what God is trying to do at communion. And that's why the Passover too. You know, when those Jews would sit there for Passover, they're laughing, they're talking. It's like, hey, you know, they're talking about how they got out of Egypt and how they're freed and how now, look how wonderful it is. We're in the promised land. Yeah, I had all kinds of cows here and I had all kinds of sheep there. God did this. I got all kinds of crops. They're talking about all this cool stuff that God is doing. They're remembering it. And that's what we need to be doing at communion. You know, the Lord delivered me from this problem. He showed me this new understanding in the Bible about this and that and the other thing. We should be doing that at communion. A lot of times pastors will have a testimony time so that you can share that. But what? listen next time to the testimonies. What are they? Are they really about what God's doing? God gave me a new car. That's great. But is that really, is that really what God's wanting us to remember? No, it should be really... God under, helped me understand this verse in a whole new way. I finally saw Jesus dying for me on the cross. I finally confessed my sin. I realized Jesus took my sin. You know, he took it to the grave. We should be talking about those kind of things. Not that the new car is bad. I appreciate the car the Lord delivered for me. <laughs> but we should be talking about what God has done for us spiritually. Both prescribe a time element. It took time to do the Passover thing. And it takes time for communion. You can't just chomp your cracker and slug the juice and rub the foot and off you go. I mean, you have to contemplate what's going on. And it takes time. God wanted us to stop, drop, and contemplate. <laughs> you know, you got to... My husband's always telling me, slow down, woman. <laughs> you know, that's the big thing. I'm going about 150 miles an hour, and my husband's going about minus 50 miles an hour. So um, he's always like, slow down. He's got the range like this on me. So God is trying to get us to do that too. You've got to stop to think, oh, what has Jesus done for me? I haven't really thought about it for a while. Well, that's what communion allows us to have. Both require action on the attendees' part. We talked, you can't just sit there. You actually have to get on your knees to wash the feet. You have to reach out for the juice and the, the cracker. Both demand the heart to be fully engaged in order to receive the blessings offered. If you don't have your heart engaged, you have just had a snack with clean feet. That's it. And Passover, if they're not really engaged in what it means, they just had a nice annual reunion, fellowship meal. That's it. And each are a covenant. And that is a big thing that we're going to be talking about. A covenant is an agreement between two parties. I looked it up in the dictionary. And this agreement is enacted between two parties who pledge loyalty to each other. God is pledging loyalty to us. We are pledging loyalty back. That's what a covenant 
is about. So, communion and Passover, they're both covenants through a meal. Both are meals to seal an agreement. God is agreeing to things, we're agreeing to things. And we both have to be at peace with each other. That's why we have the foot washing. Yesterday we talked about that. You, you know, it's, you're confessing your sins. So now you finally, your heart is opened up to receive the blessings from the Lord. If you come to communion and there's no foot washing, then there's no melting of the heart. There's no, no connection anymore. I mean, you got a wall. You have a barrier. I mean, have you ever sat down to a meal that you're, with someone that you're mad at? It's a very strained meal, isn't it? I think the digestion just turns your stomach upside down and it's not going very well. And um, you're sick after that meal with that person. They always say, if you can eat a meal together, you're, it's going to go good for you. Well, I've sat at people's tables that I didn't really enjoy those people. <laughs> and I didn't want to go to their house. And so there was no peace at that particular situation. If there is tension and animosity, then that agreement is a sham. It's not real. There never was an agreement. It was in word, but it was not in heart. And if it's not in heart with communion, it's not going to happen with the Lord. So the covenant is between us and God. Do you guys remember when Jacob and Esau, they made an agreement over a pot of lentils, right? For that birthright. So I'm showing you how the covenant is through a meal. They made an agreement. Jacob and Laban, they made a covenant to not harm each other. Remember when Jacob finally left and Laban came running after, hey, you got my kids, this isn't going well, you didn't tell me. And they're like, well, what do you expect? You changed my wages ten times. So they sat down by a rock and they had a meal and they decided he wasn't going to take any more wives and he wasn't going to come after him. And they parted company and you never hear from Laban ever again. Jacob and Isaac, they had a meal to seal the covenant of Isaac giving his blessing to Jacob and Jacob receiving those blessings, even though it was under a pretense that he was Esau, but it still was a meal. And did you know that the Lord had a meal with the elders of Israel? The 70 elders of Israel were invited up to Mount Sinai, and they had a meal there with the Lord. It's in the Bible. They agreed to be obedient and worship only God. That was their part of the deal. In the end of time, we will enter a feast with the Lord. I want to read this, and it's Isaiah 25. Um, they're going to enter a feast with the Lord. We are where he promises to remove all our pain and our death from us. And that meal commemorates the work of eternal peace. So God, he loves potlucks. God likes meals. Well, he created them, didn't he? He made us have to eat food. Isaiah 25, verse 6 through 8. I'm going to do there, say amen. Okay. 6 through 8 says, In this mountain shall the Lord of hosts make a feast. I'm sorry, I missed a line. And in this mountain shall the Lord of hosts make unto all people a feast of fat things, a feast of wines on the lees, of fat things full of marrow, of wine on the lees, well refined. And he'll destroy in this mountain the face of the covering cast over all people, and the veil that is spread over all nations. He will swallow up death and victory, and the Lord... God will wipe away tears from off all faces, and the rebuke of his people shall he take away from off all the earth, for the Lord hath spoken it. So this meal that he is creating is commemorating 
eternal peace. The veil is gone. You know, there's no more problems. We finally can see him face to face. That will be peace. That is when in the new, in the new earth, the promised land. So, God made four promises. In the old covenant, their agreement failed. The people promised, all that the Lord has said, we will do. You think, well, what was the matter with that promise? All that the Lord has said, we will do. They left the Lord in the dust. They never said, you know, with your help we'll do it. When they were in the promised land and Joshua was about ready to die, he was trying to remind them, you know, you, you're starting to worship all these other gods. You said you'd worship the true God. And they said, okay, yeah, yeah, we're going to be on it. We're on top of it. And he said, but you can't do it. They did not understand what he was trying to convey. He was telling them, you can't do it. You need to ask the Lord to do it. But they made the same promises, all that the Lord said, we will do. So they continued, their story continues in the Old Testament. They failed on and on and on. So the Lord's like, you know what? These people aren't getting it. We've got to have a new covenant. A new agreement needs to be made. We need somebody else making the promises, and it is Jesus Christ who makes the promises. All that the Lord says, I will do, Jesus said. But what, what was it that all that the Lord said? What is it that they're promising to do? They're promising to be like God. That's what they're promising. What does that mean, to be like God? Okay, it means they're going to obey the Ten Commandments. Did the Jews do that? They did not do it. Do we do that? We don't either. So, they would obey God. When we say we're going to obey God, we're saying that His ways would be our ways. What is God like? What are his ways? Well, how he deals with people is his way. We know the Bible says he's merciful, he's gracious, he's patient, he's abundant in truth, he is love, he's joyful, he's temperate. You know, the fruits of the Spirit, that's what the Lord is. And so they said, we will be that. The Bible says the Lord is holy. He's righteous. He's perfect. They said, we will be that. They said, we agree to your thoughts. We, we're going to think the way you think, God. We're going to act the way you do. We're going to plan our church meetings according to the way you do. We're going to deal with the good people the way you do and with the bad people the way you do. Think about this. Do we do this? That his love and forgiveness they would exercise his gospel plan they would share with everyone because that's what he's trying to do. That's what Genesis 3.15 is. I'm going to come and die for you. So they're like, we're going to spread that around the world. That's your plan. The Jews agreed to all of this. They agreed basically to have hearts, God's heart planted in their heart, and they never did it because they never asked him to do it in them. They said, we will do it. They always said, we will do it. They wanted... They, they had a head knowledge, but they didn't have a heart experience. This is basically saying, I'm going to be like God in character. I'm going to have Christ's heart in me. So, did they? We've said this before. They did not do it. Now, to know if the covenant... So, let me go backwards. Passover 
is reminding us that we're promising this, but that we can't accomplish it. So Christ says, I will do it in you. That's the new covenant maker. That's the new promise maker and the new promise keeper. So to know if the covenant's agreement meant anything, it was shown by how well the parties adhered to it, to its terms. The term of it was keeping the, the law, the Ten Commandments. If it was broken, then the covenant relationship was broken. So it was to restore that lost relationship that all the sacrifices were developed, which started with Adam and Eve. So the covenant as a relationship between God and his people is dependent in the keeping of the law. Once the law is broken, the relationship is interrupted. So the sacrificial system was the means to bring the breach to atone for that relationship to be restored. But the sacrifice was worthless without the repentance on the man of the man on whose benefit behalf it was offered. So let me repeat that. The sacrifice was worthless without the repentance on the man on whose behalf it was offered. So if there's no repentance, that covenant doesn't mean a hill of beans. They could sit down and have their meal, but the man who broke that 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 law, that promise to be like God, if he wasn't repentant, that Passover was worthless. And when communion comes, if we're not repentant, hence the foot washing, that communion service is a sham for that individual. I'm not saying the church at large, but for the person who's not repentant, they engage in it without that repentance. Communion was a mockery because it's based on repentance. You can't have communion without repentance. So Christ made and fulfilled the Old Covenant pledge. He did everything that they failed to do, that we failed to do. He's honest. He's faithful. He's loyal. He's obedient. He shares the gospel with everyone. Jesus exercised love. Doesn't he exercise love towards us? And patience, mercy, and forgiveness. When you blow it, you're flat on your face, man. You just royally messed up. You can always fall on the mercy and the forgiveness of Christ, right? Jesus is doing that covenant. He took on God's character in all of its aspects, and he lived them out to the fullest. Hence, the four Gospels. You read his story all the way through. Every time he was tempted, he didn't fall down. Every time the devil tried to do something, he didn't give in to it. Read Matthew 4, 1 through 11, with the three temptations. Those were the hardest temptations. We think, well, you know, making bread, I mean, making a stone into bread, what's the big hairy? He hadn't eaten for 40 days. But what's worse is he had the power to do it. For us, it wouldn't have been a temptation at all. I can't make stones into bread, but he certainly can. So if we accept Jesus, he will credit his accomplishment of the covenant to us. Isn't that cool? So what shall we say then to these things in Romans 8.31? If God be for us, who can be against us? So if Jesus is willing to do this in us, we can't fail. But are we willing to let him do this in us? Hence, righteousness by faith. Then we can have the Holy Spirit. So, communion is the new covenant. It is a physical token that we can touch and experience with the new covenant between us and Christ. We were talking how this yesterday was a tangible thing we can touch. You know, God is an invisible God. We cannot see him. We can't reach out and touch him like AT&T wants us to do. You know, we can't do anything like that. But communion is the opportunity to like, whoa, I am doing this because I believe this God is real. What other reason would you be participating? 
Why else would you wash feet? Why else would you eat the cracker and drink the juice? There would be no purpose if you didn't believe because you're entering into a covenant. If you don't believe that there's someone else on the other end of that covenant, what's the point? I mean, are you going to sit down at a table and pretend there's someone over there when you don't even believe they exist? That's not going to happen. So, it is a memorial to remind Christ of his promises and us of our reception of those promises. When we do communion, we need to be thinking, hey, I'm accepting Jesus is making this promise. He said he's going to be loyal in my heart. He's going to make me loyal. He's going to make me faithful. He's going to make me obedient. He's going to make me loving. He's going to put this desire to share the gospel with other people into my heart. And I'm receiving that at, at communion. So communion isn't just you know, a meal. You are receiving those promises Christ made in your own heart. So for me, that changes the, the whole landscape of communion. I'm not just a passive participant. I'm an active receiver. Those promises are now, I'm receiving them. I'm accepting them. I want them. Jesus' sacrifice ratifies these promises. Communion is a reaffirmation of our relationship with Christ. The promises are reviewed and renewed. You know, until I got started studying about communion, I didn't even know these four promises existed. You know, I just read through the story of Passover, you know, and I read those in Exodus 6, or 6 and 7, and it never entered my brain that those were for me until I got studying it. But when I'm at communion, I'm reaffirming my relationship with Christ and that those promises he gave, I'm going over those promises and I'm renewing them, which is what they did at Passover. They renewed their identity in God. They renewed their existence as a nation. That's why we do communion, to renew it. Those promises. Peace is again confirmed. An assurance of eternal life is reestablished. How many of us struggle with having the assurance of salvation? Am I the only one that struggles with that sometimes? Because we blow it, right? That's why we need communion. You have the foot washing. Your sins are washed away. You're saved. It's a rebaptism. It's like you're made new. Communion is being made new again and again and again. And we need that. God's like, I'm going to give you a tangible thing that you are saved. I'm going to give you communion. Don't skip out on communion. That's where your salvation is reestablished. That's your assurance. Because you're renewing the promises. You're re-accepting what Jesus has promised to do in you. And communion is really a big thing when you understand what it's about. But when we don't understand it, we just kind of blase it off and it doesn't mean anything. And that's why, that's why I'm doing the seminar, because I really believe we need to understand it so we can really experience a relationship with Christ in a way that he intended. So then, once we have that, faith becomes reality. We can now finally live it. Let's see. So the Old Testament people, they had sacrifices as living, touchable object lessons to remind them and teach them of Christ's work. It was designed to reawaken our personal connection to Jesus. And the Old Covenant had animals to ratify those promises. The New Covenant has Jesus' death to ratify the promises. And basically at communion, God is asking, do you still want to be with me? 
And it is our chance to say, yes, I still want to be with you. Every time you have communion, you're saying, you know what, Lord? I do want those promises. I do want to have that assurance of salvation. I do want you in my life. And I'm participating to show you what I want to be, what I want done in my life. You're saying yes to Jesus. So then we won't have a guilty conscience anymore because it's been washed away. So I think I got through this super duper fast today. So the big question is, will you accept his promises for yourself? Do you want to be freed from Satan? When we come to communion, when we sit down and we go through the whole experience of communion, the Lord is asking, do you want to be freed from Satan or do you want to still live with him controlling you? When they did the Passover and they physically walked out, you know, they left their houses, they left their, their tools behind. You know, they didn't want to bring those tools with them out there into the wilderness because, like, who wants to keep building all those things? They left it. They physically left it. And God is asking us that communion. Do you want to physically leave your sin, whatever it is? You, do you want to get rid of it? Do you want to be, you want that monkey off your back? And when you participate in communion, you're saying, yes, I do want that monkey off my back. I can't get it off my back. The communion says, Jesus, take that monkey off my back. When we do communion, the Lord is asking, do you want power to overcome sin? Because I can say I want the monkey off the back, but now I have to accept the power from the Lord to get the monkey off the back. Because the monkey's staying on the back because I can't get rid of it on my own. But Jesus has the power to do it. Do we want to accept that power? The next question is, do you want to be reclaimed back into Christ's fold and presence? When we participate in communion, we're saying, yes, Lord, I want to be walking with you. I believe you're going to walk with me because you made the promises. You're going to, you said you take me to be your person, to be your child. I want that. To do communion, I'm saying, I'm declaring to the Lord, I want you in my life. And the last question is, do you want to live with Christ forever? Because communion is looking forward to the second coming. That means you're in the second coming. You're, you're going. You ever ask yourself, do you want to go? I do. I ask myself that. It's going to be so weird from living here. We're not going to be sitting in these, these kind of chairs. We're not going to have seminars anymore. <laughs> you know, it's going to be a totally different existence. I tell my husband all the time, we live so primitively here. We think, you know, we're so civilized. we got this beautiful building. We have electricity. You know, we have this computer and all this sound system. But you know what? It is ridiculous compared to what the Lord has in heaven. And if you really sit down and think about it, what is it going to be like in heaven? Do I really want to be there? I can remember before I was an Adventist, I was a Christian, but um, I didn't know about Adventists yet. I told the Lord, I am scared to go to heaven because it's completely different than anything I've experienced. I don't know if I want to be there. And the Lord told me, you will be happy there. I mean, I was really scared of going to heaven. Sounds really silly, doesn't it? But do you want to go to heaven? It's going to be different than here. Are you, do you want to live in such a holy environment that you can't fudge once in a while? That you, you can't slip? And it's not that you can't, you just plain won't. Are you used to messing up? I am. <laughs> I'm tired of it, but I'm used to it. It's like, here we go again. You know, the last four days, it's been really interesting. 
with my husband. We've had some situations, and it's like, here I go again. I told the pastor I have the uncanny ability of making my husband's life miserable. <laughs> and uh, so, <laughs> been there. <laughs> so, well, it says in the Bible, um, it has not entered into the thought, the man, mind of man, the things that God has prepared for them that love Him. You know, we can't. It's we need to imagine heaven, but it's hard to imagine something you don't know. We have a few things in the Bible. It says that there's going to be no sickness, so there's no more doctor's appointments. There's going to be no death, so there's no more car accidents. You know. Abby would not be in a hospital there. She wouldn't even have to worry about chemo. Won't even enter the brain. Um, nobody's gonna get old. You know, my grandparents, when they are when they're gonna be resurrected, my grandfather's mind is gonna be all there, and grandma will have her eyesight back. And uh, she's the one who likes to go 150 miles an hour too. So I'm sure the Lord has angels who can catch up with her. Just imagine when she's got her full energy. <laughs> She's a, she had lots of irons in the fire. I'm just like my grandma. I like that too. When I go down, I like 15 irons in the fire. If I go down to 10, I get nervous. But um, my husband, he likes one iron in the fire. <laughs> and when it goes down to zero, he's fine. <laughs> but it's just neat how heaven is going to be so much better, but we really have no clue how much better. Yes, that is the truth. So when we engage in communion, we're looking towards heaven. We're saying, Lord, I want you to get me ready for that, even though I have no idea what it's going to be like to the full degree. But I want to be there because you're there. You know, that's really the reason why we want to go to heaven is because Jesus is there. And that's why we're doing communion. It's because Jesus is there and we're saying yes to him. We're saying I do want you. I don't completely understand, but I do want you. You know, I want to be better than what I am, and I have no clue how to get there, so do it in me. You know, that's righteousness by faith. I even pray, Lord, help me be willing for you to work in me. Help me be willing to be willing. When I'm really stubborn, Lord, help me be willing to be willing to be willing. Because let's face it, we can be really set and not want to move forward, but I want to be willing. Sometimes I don't feel like wanting to be willing. I mean, just being honest, I can be a real stubborn thing. Just ask my husband. And you think, well, what is your daughter like? She's strong. But you know my husband's just as stubborn as I am. <laughs> so she's got a double whammy. Anyways, um, I know we ended really early, but do you have any questions between yesterday and today? I mean, what did you get out of today? Maybe if you should go there. What did you get out of today that was helpful, that made a difference for you? considering communion and the covenants and stuff. When you come to communion, you're saying, I, Lord, I'm agreeing to your plan in my life. I mean, I looked it up in the dictionary. I'm a big dictionary thing. And um, that's how I learned about what a covenant means. It's an agreement. And um, you have to, it said in the dictionary, they're pledging loyalty, but there can be no animosity. There can be no problems between the two when you're in this covenant moment. And at communion, think about it. Can there be tension between you and the Lord? 
The only way we would have tension, if we have a sin, we're not willing to surrender. That's how the covenant, the communion, will not work. If I am not willing to give up whatever it is the Holy Spirit is telling me I need to surrender. That's why we have the foot washing, the opportunity to surrender, to ask him, help me to surrender. That's what the foot washing does. That's why we have to have foot washing before the bread and the juice. That was brought up yesterday. Why do we need to... What's the order? It has The foot washing has to happen first in order for the, the agreement to go on, for the agreement to be enacted, to start it, initiated, because if you're not repentant, what can God do? He can't do anything because you're not willing to enter into the agreement. He's got the terms. You know, he creates the terms. Well, he's the boss. In the farmer language, he's top dog. So it's just like you as moms. You gave birth to your children. You have the right to say, this is the way it works, kid. This is the agreement. You do what I say, you get this lollipop. You don't do what I say, you don't get the lollipop. <laughs> and I know that's extremely simple, but that's exactly what God's doing with us. You repent, you can go to heaven. You don't repent, you don't go to heaven. If you repent, you have my presence. If you don't repent, you don't have my presence. If you repent, you have a relationship with me. If you don't repent, you won't have a relationship with me. It's, it's that simple. But we like to complicate it so it doesn't seem that simple. It's really hard and then nobody can figure it out and we're all frustrated and we say, phooey. And we do. That's why people don't come to communion. Because, with, okay, with what you've learned in two days, has it changed your concept of communion and how you want to approach it next time? Is it deeper than what you ever thought it was before? Wait till you hit Thursday. Thursday changed everything for me. Thursday's message completely changed it. Because remember, I told you, I hated communion. Because I didn't understand. And I had, was given false reasonings about it. So I looked at it as this tension thing. There was no communion between me and the Lord because of that. But Thursday, the message on Thursday completely changed it, and that's why I'm doing what I'm doing. That has been a frustration on my part. I shared with you yesterday that there are no lessons on communion. Okay, out of 50-some series of lessons, and I have those 50 series of lessons. I know because I collect Bible studies as a Bible worker. There's only maybe two. And I know on the one, it was messed up and I had to fix it. So that is frustrating. The lack of material to share. I have a pamphlet that I've written. I'm still working on finishing it. I'm hoping to get it published. Um, I'm making Bible studies. We should have someone pass out a name and address and phone number or whatever. I, am, I got 11 Bible studies on communion made, and I'm only up through the foot washing. Yeah, they're, they're sitting there. Go for it. And when I'm done with them, I would like to email them. If you could put your emails on there. Or if I could burn you a CD, you could pay the postage and handling, I don't care. But um, people need to be taught. So that's the best I can do for you at, with that stuff. But what can you do today? What you are learning, you need to go back to your church and share. It should. But people, I think, okay, in the older days, we had a lot of people from other churches come and they had an understanding of communion, so we just assume that's just carrying over. But now, 
the last of my understanding, you have 49% Christians in America, 51% non-Christian. That, that scale is being tipped. We have more non-churched people coming in than we do churched people. But even then, those churched people, how much do they know? Because depending on the denomination they're coming from, they have erroneous understandings of communion. And you don't want that. Exactly. They have absolutely no clue. Like I was sharing, my, my lady friend I have, she's 74. She knows nothing about Christ. Nothing. And it blows my mind. She went to church for 13 years. And she doesn't know anything about Christ. It's like, how could you go there for 13 years? Well, it's the kind of church that she went to. It was extremely liberal. And it was the pastor's wife who brought her. And never taught her. And she often, she'll say, I'm so happy you're teaching me what she never would teach me. I mean, we get through two questions at a time. I think we're really going forward because she has so many questions. It just blows the mind. And you don't, you know, and they don't understand. That was my big issue. If I'm unworthy, I'm going to die, the Bible says. Well, then I better not do it so I don't die. <laughs> we are unworthy. So what does unworthy mean? It doesn't mean sinful. It means not accepting Christ's blood on the cross for you. That is unworthy. So when we come to communion, that's why we have the foot washing. I am surrendering my efforts to save myself. I'm confessing I can't save myself. And I'm falling totally on the merits of Christ to save me. Foot washing does that. That's what you're saying when you engage in foot washing. So then you can worthily eat because now you're trusting in Christ to save you. Yes. And it's not going to, you know, you're sharing that and I'm thinking of a quote from a um, reformer in the old days, Reformation days. We have to eat the meal by faith, but if you don't have faith, you're just having a snack. But when we come to communion, we're looking for an emotion, this warm fuzzy, to say, I've arrived. You know, And often it doesn't happen. And the reason is because we haven't repented. We don't even know what we're repenting of. If we don't even recognize our sin, we don't know what we're supposed to repent of so that we can be engaging with Christ. Which, back to foot washing again. So when you sit down and your other your partner, instead of talking about the latest sales and the new dress, we should be talking about, wow, Christ washed Peter's feet. And Peter was full of himself. Hmm, am I full of myself? How would I be full of myself? Well, when I talked to the, you know, so-and-so, I told them they messed up at the board meeting. Maybe they didn't mess up. Maybe I was full of myself. You know, that's why we need the foot washing is so important because it, it gives us the time to stop. But I've been with at foot washings where my partner, you know, they're laughing, they're giggling, and I'm glad they're happy, but we should be thinking, wow, Jesus, he got down on his knees. The king of the universe got down on his knees to wash my feet. I sat in the chair. I was having the easy time 
and he became a slave for me. I mean, when you stop and chew on that one for a few minutes, you're like, whoa, I'm not worthy of that. But Jesus felt I was. You know, he went lower than what he had to do in order to save us. But he was willing. No one took him by the scruff of the, the neck and said, okay, now you be the slave. He waited and waited and waited, and then he's like, okay, if I want these people in heaven, this is what I need to do. Do I want them in heaven that bad? He did. And he's doing it for you at communion. Because that person we talked to yesterday is in the, they're symbolizing Christ. You are symbolizing Christ when you wash your partner's feet. Are you willing to go to that degree? You know, Jesus was hoping beyond hope Judas would repent. We should be hoping beyond hope that our partner will repent, that we will repent when we do the foot washing. So when you go, because we're going to do foot washing Friday. We're going to do it. And um, I hope you're really hungry because I made a ton of bread <laughs> for our agape feast. Otherwise, you're going to go home with some bread because <laughs> I don't want to go home with all this bread. But think about that when you have your partner and you're washing feet with them. Don't talk about the latest sales or what the kid is doing or the newest toy to get the grandchild. Jesus is reading your feet. He's reading your life. What has your past been like? What do you want your future to be like? What is your present right now like? He knows it, and he accepts you. If he didn't accept you, he wouldn't bow down to wash your feet. Yesterday, we had three men here. Um, other than that, I don't know. I was really curious what were going to be the dynamics of who was going to come. But if you look at the church in general, it's more women than men. But communion, I think women are more interested in communion. Our hearts long for They do. They're not off the hook. They're failing, if you want to put it bluntly. But that's where they're at. What are we going to do? We need to go back to our churches with what you've learned here and share it with people. And I do do seminars. I mean, I do this at churches. I've done it down in Indiana, and I do one-hour sessions where it kind of highlights all this stuff. I mean, it's just one hour. Here, you're getting four hours. They're getting one hour, and, um, and I've done that other places. Everywhere I've taken it to, people are like, whoa, I've never heard this. I mean, old Adventists, and they're just floored. I didn't know this stuff until I got digging into it, and I'm like, this is totally different than what I envisioned communion was like. It completely changes it. And so that's why I'm doing this, so that people can get a smattering, an idea of it. Okay, how many churches do we have represented here? I know we have Holland. What are you? Traverse City. Warren. Lansing. And Marquette. What are you? Mount Pleasant. So from, you're from Hastings? That's right. So you have Pastor Dahl. He heard it. So we have eight churches represented here. So we have eight locations that is going to get some more information about communion than what they've ever had before. How many of you are deaconesses? Oh my. One, two, three, four, five. Over half the group, three quarters of the group is deaconess. That was something I never dreamed of that would be coming to this class. 
I know, there's another person too who said it. That's why they came. Praise the Lord. But now you want to bring it to... But that's okay. And now you're, you're the one that brought up who, how can we get this to our people? When you're doing the foot washing, that's when you can bring it. You need to be talking with your partner. I do this with my partners. You know, I have a pastor's daughter friend, and she grew up in the church and everything, and she said the only meaningful communion she ever had was when we did it as Bible workers out in Pennsylvania. That's sad. That is really pathetic. That's the only meaningful communion she's ever had. And I didn't even know this stuff then. When I'm washing feet, I'll be talking, Jesus is holding your hand, your feet right now. What does that make you think? We had communion at workers' meeting. I've never, okay, I've been in the conference for like 14 years, and we had workers' meeting, and I was really debating about asking Royce if I could do this here. And I was, I was really worried, nervous, scared not to do it. And then they announced they're going to have communion at workers' meeting. I'm like, okay, Lord, this is what I need to do. And so my partner and I, we sat down for the full washing, and it just struck me as like, Jesus is holding my feet. He knows my whole life. He's accepting me at this moment. He's not condemning me at this moment. And we need to talk that with our partner, because how many of you feel condemned? Am I the only one? Okay, but when you know that Jesus is accepting you, he accepted them when he washed their feet. He didn't, on their toes, you naughty person. He cradled their foot. He was washing the, he knew what sin he was washing away. And I think as they sat there, they realized what the sin was that he was washing away. Because they were confessing and they're like, oh, my, my pride, my selfish ambition, you know, whatever it is, you just, whatever your list is, it's going into that bowl right now. Oh, there's a piece of pride floating there. Oh, there's some lust. You know, there's some, you know, whatever. You just go through it and you can see the dirt there. It's like, Jesus just cleansed me. That dirt is there, not here. And when, when uh, you and your partner are done and you look at each other, you're looking into Jesus' eyes. And it's love. It's acceptance. There's no condemnation. You don't feel guilty anymore. You feel embraced. That's what we need to be talking about at communion. You know, and I always have a prayer before the foot washing and after the foot washing. And I'm, con I'm like, Lord, forgive me, forgive my partner for whatever, you know, is in their life. Encourage them, give them hope and joy. You know, I'm, because usually my partner, I pray before I go to church, I know it's going to be communion. When I get done with communion, I got communion at my church. And um, I pray, Lord, you pick my partner. I don't know who. Now, if it's my Bible study coming to church that day, I'm going to do it with them. I always want to be the first one to do it with them. But um, if, it, if I don't have that, then I want it. Lord, you pick out my partner. Because I don't know who needs that encouragement. You know, sometimes it's me who needs it. Like, Lord, I need somebody to encourage me. Because, yeah, I'm the Bible worker, but you know what? I have bad hair days, too. And it was really cool because, okay, yesterday was the first day. I was extremely nervous. I've been, like, terrified of doing this seminar. And um, been having a really rough week. 
with my husband and sat down for devotions yesterday. I shared it last yesterday. The guy started talking about communion. That was his devotion. He says, if you're having a rough time, a crisis in your life, Jesus has mercy. Because I blew it again. And I'm like, praise the Lord. The Lord says, I love you. I don't hate you. And it's a, it was about communion. And here's my thing yesterday. And I'm like, God is talking to me. So when we're at communion, God is talking to us. If we're willing to listen, then we will experience Christ, which is the goal. We have to stop. So are there any other questions? We have like five minutes, four minutes. Okay, when you walk into the ABC, you're going to go to your right, and they're tall, they're up on the top shelf, and it's over there kind of by where the um, AV is, where all the CDs and whatnot. And, that, and you're going to see all different, there's like six in that series. I think it's number four, but it's a brown book. But you're going to be going to your right. Forty days on the Lord's Supper, Thoughts and Devotions. It's the 40 days guy. Mm-hmm. It only came out three years ago. It is the only book available at ABC. Why is that? According to the author I talked to, he said it's not a controversial subject, which I think is a bunch of hooey. But... Wouldn't this be controversial if you didn't know it? Did this create a little controversy in your heart from understanding? Have you thought like, whoa, what have I been doing all these years? Look what I've been missing all these years. You know, when I did this in Indiana, the, um, I mean, you had the old Adventists there, and they're like, the pastor came to me and said, the people are asking, how can we escape our lethargy towards communion? And I prayed about it, and I'm like, the only way that I know, for one thing, you got to get information, but the other thing is, when you are giving a Bible study to somebody, you see their need, you see all their drama, you're, you're, you're crying with them, you know, they're, they're in jail, they're in drugs, you know, they've got all these addictions and all these problems in their family that's dysfunctional. When you're working with them, you see the value of communion. Because you care about them, you love them, and you want that communion to happen for them, the tension gone, the guilt gone, the sins gone. But if we're not sharing Christ, then it's always going to be selfishness. Because when you're sharing Jesus, it creates a love in your heart, and then that gets you closer to Jesus. So communion is about soul winning. If you want to really engage with Christ, you want to really experience the communion supper, you need to be soul winning because you'll see their need and you'll recognize your own need because you'll see yourself in them. If you'll be honest. Unless if a person is like, well, I've got it all and they don't, now that's going to create a wall between you and them and between you and the Lord. When my husband and I are having a fight, the best thing I can ever do is to go and give a Bible study. Because I was up in Marquette, and we were having a big old to-do. We had just been married, and I can remember, fine, 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 it's my fault, goodbye, I got a Bible study. <laughs> I walked out the door, 
the Bible study was a mile away. I sat down at her table, and she proceeded to tell me their whole family was falling apart. I was an extremely humbled little person after that. <laughs> I went home. I said, I'm sorry. <laughs> yes. Fine. I accepted my part of the problem. But it, the only reason why I was able to be like that is because I went there. And I saw what they're experiencing. is like, you know what? I don't have anything to complain about. So we have this little bit about whatever it was. All I can remember, he was watching his motorcycle at the time. But, and uh, I remember what it is. I'm not going to say it, but I remember now. <laughs> Anyways, um, but when you give a Bible study, you're in their home, you're experiencing their problems, then it melts your heart. You know, Barb and I, we went to her daughter, ex-daughter-in-law's house, and we were there at her deathbed, and it melted our hearts. We could be that person. You know, what she died of. Yes, it was self-brought on. But she was trying so hard to get free of it. You know, we cried. We were at the funeral service and everything because that person mattered. And that changes communion because because Jesus is in our hearts then. But if we're not sharing, he's. they promised to have his heart. Well, then we have to go out there and his heart will be recreated into our heart because we'll see their need. We'll fall in love with them. It's one person at a time. What about those? They're hurting too. But do we visit them? We see them at potluck. We see them at church. We're all dressed pretty and bye-bye. You know, it's funny in Grand Rapids, I had a church member in my last church, and she told me, you know, you have a mission. Because I told her, you need to go visit so-and-so. And you just need to show up. She says, well, you, you can do that because you have a mission. We can't do that. I'm thinking, that's bogus. Because just because I'm paid, I have a mission. I don't do this because I'm paid. The paid is the, be- is the benefit. I do this because I love the people. Don't you love that person to just show up on their doorstep? Forget the stupid business thing. Just show up. I mean, do you call your friends every time you show up at their house? I don't. I just show up. And if you're there, you're there. And if you're not, you're not. Okay, so I spent 20 minutes of my time and X amount of gallons of gas in my car. Isn't my friend worth it? So that was a little annoying. But <laughs> let's have a prayer. Heavenly Father, I thank you for our, all of the ladies that could come. And I pray you bless each one that they can remember these things. I know it's a ton of stuff. And um, even I can't keep it all in my head. Well, Lord, may it sink into our hearts. Help us be able to share even just a few tidbits with our churches so that they too can experience communion with you on a higher level. In Jesus' name, amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.